Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In the sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations. Because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest for a few reasons. Clea Wade is a cherished friend of mine, and I'm honored to tell you that she's our new co-host of the Goop podcast. Clea is a poet and the author of Heart Talk, Where to Begin and What the Road Said. Clea has such a beautiful, expansive mind. I deeply admire her curiosity and the gentle way she listens and asks unexpected questions from a place of non-judgment. Cleo's work has inspired so many of us at Goop and beyond, and I'm grateful she said yes to joining us. Moving forward, Cleo and I will take turns hosting episodes. I'm thrilled to listen to her conversations and hear from her remarkable guests. But first, today, Cleo and I sat down together at the Goop office and dove into the kind of intimate conversation we tend to have when we get together. We talked about processing through our blind spots, how we contextualize anger, and the most liberating thing Cleo says she has done for herself. As is the case with Cleo, you never know exactly what gem she's going to unearth, but you know the conversation will have a lasting impact on you. Here we go. Will you tell me a little bit about your journey from a kid growing up in New Orleans to today? You're regarded with so much admiration, like you inspire so many women. So I would just love to know a little bit about like the journey. So you're a kid in New Orleans. Yes. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for inviting me to be the co-host. I'm so excited about it. You know, I so it's so funny because someone asked me, I can't remember who it was. They just asked me and they were like, oh, I didn't know you wanted to do a podcast or do anything verbal. And I was like, you know, I... I think everything in life like is about the safe place you feel like you can try something new. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sometimes you don't have that and you really do just have to like 
jump into the deep end knowing that it's like actually a cold plunge. And then there's also ways, and I think that it's really important that we find these ways where it doesn't always have to feel harsh and hard to do something you want to do or do something that you really want to kind of try. You can say to yourself like, oh, well, what would be the way I could do this where I feel that there's love or there's trust or it's actually a very warm pool and I can kind of tiptoe into the edge and I'm going to have, you know, support and people who have the same values as me as I get in. And so thank you for that. We're so thrilled. So I'm in a little girl and I feel like I want to talk in like Laura Dern's mom's accent, that like really deep Southern like. So I grew up in New Orleans and, you know, I think it's funny because the question I probably get asked the most is like, how would, how did you know this or where does that come from? And I think that, you know, my parents got divorced when I was really young and I don't know if other people have this, but sometimes I feel that our parents are actually this like certain age person. So like sometimes I'm like, and this is not an insult to either of them, but some of the emotional availability, especially at that time for me, like from my dad is that of almost like a young teenager. And from my mom, it's almost that of a young adult. And they were young also, but this idea where, you know, that was what they had to give. So like oftentimes Mm -hmm. when I think of even how I've mended my relationship with my parents over the years, I'm able to say like, you know what, like this is where the emotional growth, this is how far it could get, or this is where the healing stopped, mm-hmm. or this is where the pain began, and this is where people were stunted in being able to actually give that to you. So would I imagine that you know my friend's 15-year-old son could offer me the understanding or empathy or compassion or support through these moments of my childhood? I, I wouldn't really expect that from them. Yeah. And that's actually a lot of people's emotional start point, even if they're in, you know, 30 something year old bodies. So I think for me, because I kind of had to rely on myself to kind of cope through most hard things, I got to kind of use in emotional muscles early. And like anything, you know, if you're using your core in an exercise, like that's the part where you're going to be able to feel the most strength. And so I think that early on, and I remember talking about this a lot when I wrote my kid's book, because the whole book is about this person who's on a journey talking to this road. And for me, when I wrote that book, I was like, "This, these are the things I needed to hear when I was a kid, mm-hmm. that I had to find a way to give those, bring those answers or versions of those answers that I'm sure were less graceful to myself. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older, I just started kind of, I think, being that person to my friends. And so, you know, when I was in New Orleans. I moved to New York when I was 17 and I like got an internship and a job. And I really just, to me, I think feeling financially stable was my first goal because that wasn't something that my parents could really achieve. And so I think that, you know, like most things, we're always looking for ways to feel safe. And so for me, I was like, okay, my safety comes from this. And so I think even at that point in my life, you know, I think my biggest fear was probably debt. And so I was like, I have to get a job, you know? And so I started working and I interned and I worked to kind of like in fashion doing all these different things. But I mean, I literally had like every kind of job under the sun my whole life. I mean, I've had a job since I was 12 and I worked at clothing stores in the French Quarter. And that's how I got my first internship. There was this woman who walked into the store that I met and she was like, you're kind of like, I think she kind of more noticed that I was like 
maybe less afraid for my age to kind of like, I'm going to do this and I want to do this and da 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 da. And she was like, you should intern for me sometime. And and she worked at Emma Sony, and that was my first internship. But Who was she? Her name was Linda Toffee, wow. and she was amazing. Amazing, and she changed my life. And she worked in the, there was like a really small office, and so it was this kind of really small working group. And it was the first time someone was like, draft this press release, or like, how would you edit it? And so I started to feel kind of like I had this ability to kind of competency around. Yeah, or like just distill things. I felt like I could walk into anything, and I feel like I could walk into any room about anything, like whether it's an emotional problem, like. Anything that's making someone uncomfortable, their outfit, their, you know, and I could be like, well, why don't you just try it this way? And I feel that I I do have this kind of way of kind of pulling out or pulling at what's necessary mm-hmm. and turning it into something really as universal as it could possibly be. I agree. And so, oh. And it started with language, with writing. Like, had you been that person in school who was able to manifest that through words? Not really. When I was younger, I went to a poetry summer camp and that really deeply impacted me because it was the first time I felt that there was an art form that you couldn't be good or bad at. And that I found really liberating Mm -hmm. because it felt that we were allowed to just be expressive. And that felt so important to me that like we just say or think up new and new new things and so the woman said to me that and I hate that I can't remember her name and I'm gonna find it because I do have it somewhere because she really was like the teacher and I had her for four or five years I like went and she taught me poetry but on the first day we asked her you know like how do you write a poem I don't understand I'm like seven or eight or something and she's like she's like I just want you to think of everything you've ever seen before I want you to think of a bird in every color you've ever seen a bird in, and now write about a bird in the one color you've never seen a bird in. Mm -hmm. Is it that you've never seen a rainbow bird? Is that you've never seen a bird that had sparkles on it? And start writing things. She's like, as long as you don't make sense, you're getting it right. So it was about like an abstraction and an imagination. And just being inventive. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, And I feel like I say this to you all the time, it's so much easier to fall into line in our world. And it's all it's often a faster track to whatever your goals are. But like if you really want to invent, and, and I think that for me, even when, you know, when Hard Talk was first coming out and there was no space for poetry, like in this modern time now, it's really cool when you go to the bookstores, there'll be a huge poetry section. And now even all of these, there's been this renaissance of writers and actors and country music singers and everyone else creating poetry books, which has only like kind of widened this genre and made it really amazing now. But almost 10 years ago, when I was starting to write Heart Talk, it was not like that. And even Heart Talk is this very weird genre. And so because it's kind of self-help and it's kind of poetry and it's kind of prose, and then there's kind of these mantras and it's some people use it as a coffee table book because of the aesthetic of the writing. And so I couldn't get into bookstores. They were like, doesn't go in a poetry section. We don't get this book. Where does it go? Like I, I joke. I'm like I feel like I sold every single copy of Heart Talk door to door out of the trunk. You of know, your car. I'm literally like, oh, are you sad? <laughs> Here's Heart Talk. But so, how did it get so much success? It was actually a slow burn. You know, Heart Talk to this day probably sells as many copies as it sold the day the week it came out. Like it just kind of yeah. has this way of like living, and I think. Luckily, and I feel so grateful that it just meant so much to people because they give it as gifts a lot or they share it with people they love. And so 
It it's has like the perfect, you know, gift what for a lady, a special ladies, you know. Yeah. Like, so it's so beautiful. But I think if it weren't for that poetry teacher, I wouldn't have thought like mm. I should invent in this space. I think I would have been like oh, you know what, maybe I'll just do a book where it's like a quote of the day for 365 days. Or I would have tried to like make my first book like... Commercialized, you're saying, or palatable? Or, no, I think just in a genre that was really specific instead of like right. being like, okay, I'm going to grab three and it's actually going to be rooted in a genre that like no one is buying books in right now. Well, how great you to know. pioneer that. When you have something so clear, eventually like you cut the swath, yeah. like it you developed the genre. Yeah. And that's kind of was like my big aha when my kid's book came out. It did so well. And I just kind of did precedent for a week, like the normal thing you do. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Heart Talk, I like worked for that book, like a Mary Kay salesperson for like two mm -hmm. years. And I was like, whoa, like, I can't even believe like the volume of this or like how different it was. And I was like, oh, but it's because and I feel like, you know, this feeling the most is that there's nothing people love more than to treat something like an overnight success when most of your projects are actually like these like root vegetables. <laughs> and it like reminds me of when I read that like hair, like carrot book to Memphis and they're like, when he said the little boy said the carrot wouldn't come up. Then his brother said the carrot wouldn't come up, but he just tended every day. And then the carrot came up like, <laughs> and you're like, actually like this idea, this business was like being tend to beneath sight for a really long time. Yeah. And I don't know, my kid's book really made me understand that. Yeah. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. One of the reasons I'm so excited that you're doing this is because, you know, when we sit and talk or when I watch you talk to other people, you know, kind of touching on what you said in terms of distillation, but you have this deep curiosity and listening, and then you're able to ask questions that are not the expected question. Like, I'm always like, wow, where is this question coming from? And it's so good because it's like this constant deepening. And that's why I was like, oh my gosh, if Cleo would ever agree to co-host this with me. And also you have this very, like you'll ask a hard question. Yeah. And, but it's, it's never accusatory. And it's like, you can get into it, but the person still feels safe. Well, I think that especially now in our culture, like this idea that everything is like provocative is like what gets like clicks and eyeballs. And for me, like I don't need to make you feel anything towards me. So I think a lot of the times if you're asking someone a question and they're provoking something, they're like also interested in the energy you're going to give them. Whereas like I'm actually more interested in like what a question like does 
for or to you. Mm. And so I think that in that, to me, I guess where I use or like to live in language the most is as an offering rather than this kind of pulling. And that's, I think, also how I write. And so I think a lot of the times people, the question I get asked often is like, aren't you ever angry or aren't you ever sad? Because so much much of it seems that it airs in this kind of positive space. And I'm like, of course I do. But I work to process a lot of that yeah. because I don't feel that my place you know, or my purpose is in like the emotional dumping of like from my being out into the world. And so like before, so unless I feel that there's some way it lifts or it can like stand as some type of offering, Mm -hmm. that's just not what I share. And I feel that way with, you know, I don't mind like kind of calling you to be like, we got to go on a walk because I need to rip in about something. So <laughs> I, you know, I have, you know, my kind of safe places I'll do, you know, and kind processing. of vent and process and be like, oh, oh. but so I, important, by the way. Yeah. But I think as far as even walking into a room, if I feel like I don't know everyone or where everyone's coming from or even how I do work, like I had this work thing happen kind of recently. And I remember being like, you know what, I want to give this like person the benefit of the doubt. And I just remember thinking like, you know what, I don't know what's going on. And I just kind of went through it. And then today they like send me this email about like, oh, you know, sorry, I actually can't something, something about the thing we're doing because I'm just going through this like horrible thing in my life. And I was like, you know what, you just don't know. And so I think even how I work in the world is like, you know, and I think it's very much like, okay, hold on, pause and everything and like make sure we give people mm-hmm. space to like maybe be having the worst day ever Yeah, when they're even like working Assume with us. positive or neutral intent, right? Yes. Like don't project. Yes. Or like don't think that everyone is trying to like mm-hmm. come for you or screw you over or but that's a know. factor like that's that's a byproduct of you being committed to processing right. because like even this morning I was working with this executive coach that I just started working with that I really like she works a lot with enneagrams and she's like type ones which is what I am right. she's like they're they're very angry you know and I was like I'm not fucking angry like <laughs> <laughs> you know damn it and <laughs> And I realize there's a part of me that I'm very accountable around and like I process through and think about. And then I have like my blind spots Mm. and it's really hard to to process through the stuff where I have blind spots because I don't know what my thing is, you know. So I have to hold people like in accountability with me. Yeah. And which is why I'm so grateful for the friends that I have, because there's that honesty and like the safe spaces to have those difficult conversations or even like be asked the harder questions when you are because I know you're very committed to that like to your processing through stuff and like and you're absolutely right that then what comes out in the world it's like a little life raft it's like everyone can just like clutch and exhale or think about something a different way but in real life what is your practice around that if something happens And because you're human and you have a nervous system and you have a response to something, what is the rubric that you follow? Well, I'm just, yes, I want to answer that, but I'm also just curious, like, so is the work that you try to minimize the blind spot or is the work that you have to move with more pause knowing you have blind spots? Where do you put that Yes, great distinction. I think, first of all, it's a vulnerability around 
understanding that we have blind spots yeah. and they're going to be the most painful things to yeah. uncover. Because there's nothing worse than I didn't mean to do that and I did. Right. Exactly. So I think there's like a, oh God, like I do this and nothing like will help you with that, like working in a company where you're surrounded by people and working closely all day and you're like all rowing so hard towards the same thing. And you're like, wait, I do, I do that, you know? And the lessons are so powerful, but then they're so they've been so blind and so embedded for so long it's like i have now i'm now working on these tells right like oh i'm going into that or where i can easily victimize myself or x y and z right you know what i mean and so is so there's just the like i pause before i like live in it right yeah so so it's like instead being like oh there's a there's a pothole there I have to slow the car in order even to get around it you know yes because I don't know if I have to like where I am with all this work right now is like I the way in which I get around the pothole is really important if I don't know if I fizz out I'm like I'm just gonna stop for a minute and let the thought go around my head so I feel I have like the opposite problem which is that like I And this is something I've worked on a lot in my relationship with Simon. So, you know, I grew up around, because, you know, as we also know, like, even if you're like, anger is my thing, like, we know there's nothing wrong with anger. We know that, like, you know, anger is actually, like, tell, it's like this really deeply informative emotion. It's only when, like, anger turns to violence, right? And that doesn't mean, like, flip the table violence. It could just be, like, the sharp thought, the, like, sharp energy, the, like, harsh inconsistent boundary right because sometimes like one way that we show that we're angry is by like being inconsistent with people we're we're usually consistent but that's like misappropriation of anger like this is what i'm trying to get to right that's what i mean is like when it when anger becomes violence and by the way your sadness could become violence right i'm in such intense grief get the fuck away from me like right for me not being angry is my thing right so that's not healthy. No. And anger is loving and it's healing. Like, yeah. but you have to process it as it's happening. And I've never, I'm learning how to do that now, you know, and like also knowing like, okay, if I'm yelling at someone in my car alone, which I do every day. Yes. Iconically. Iconically. Mother, whatever. Like that's an anger release practice for me. So I'm not going to feel shame about it. Yeah. I didn't hurt anyone. Nobody heard me. Yeah. You know, or I could get like, you know, twist a towel and bite it. Like I need to do those kinds of things because when I don't, then I get what you're talking about, which is like, I can get cold or I can get. Yeah. Any way that it just turns. Exactly. It it stops actually being anger and just starts turning into like, and when I say violent, I mean like kind of more in the sense of like the nonviolent communication type of violent, where it's like actually just the difference between our language. It's toxic. It becomes toxic. But it's really crazy because our, our one of our friends Katie McGrath actually slid in my DMs the other day because I said I was really pissed about something and and she wrote me pissed is good pissed is fire fire is light oh and that's good I, Katie with the gems oh my god you know she's like a big poetry reader so she actually like speaks in poem very often to me I'm like cool <laughs> <laughs> but for me I 
Because I grew up in the house where like, you know, the anger turns to violence, whether that's like yelling or however it manifests or, you know, the coldness or the, you know, it just turns into like actually, you know, unkindness. Right. And so I'm like, I used to just like hide anger and then anger starts hiding from you. And then it's like manifests in these other ways. Right. And I've been there too, where you're like, which is that like, I'm the victim. Because, like, it builds, like, a kind of narrative around that, like, you're always the one overcoming, Mm -hmm. therefore, you're up here and everyone else is here. And then you're upset that people treat you like you're on a pedestal. And how could they do that? And, like, I have problems, too, even though that's not a problem. I don't show these problems to anyone. And so I joked with my therapist about it once when Simon and I were first together, which is that I'm, like, I know that, like, I need to go on a walk when I'm upset because like I grew up around the like, you know, kind of family structure where like there wasn't the kind of processing filter. So like whatever someone thinks they say, and that's like my whole family, you know, like, and so whatever they feel comes out in whatever punishing way they like want to give Mm. it, you know, because there isn't the like, there's only the me, there's never the we, right? Because like when we're, when we think about how we speak to each other, like most of that, you know, and even apologies, like I always say, I'm like, apologies are a we thing, not a me thing. Like, so if you can't get to the apology, it's like, you're just in me. Like you're just, you're so deeply in you that you're like, you know what? Like I actually like want to like give whatever I can Mm -hmm. give to this we thing to like make this you know, to, to have some type of reconciliation here. Yeah. And so I joke that I'm like, you know, I have to go on the walk, which means yep. like I need to take the space to like melt and synthesize so that I can say what I want mm. to say that like leads to reconciliation, not the thing that could just be said. Because, you know, even like someone who does that work of processing, like so much of our instincts are instincts we have because of our upbringing. So mm. like, does like the nastiest possible thought like come into my head? Like, yeah. And I'm like, and I just don't want to say it. So I'm like, I have to go on the walk. And my therapist jokes, he's like, okay, but just like go around the block, not the neighborhood. Because when I, when the walk is too long, that's actually when the walk becomes violent, right? Like Mm. the walk becomes the thing that isn't like keeping your home a nest, like this kind of safe space right. of nourishment. Right, it's like an avoidance. Yeah, and it's and it's or like, indulgent at a certain point. Or is it punishing? Right? Mm-hmm. Is it is it? Are you like you know? Even if you kind of come back and are warm or whatever, did you have to leave somebody stuck in their nervous system? Yeah, stressed. You know, because mm-hmm. you over kind of. Yeah. You know, or your your pause at one point didn't become about all of you. It just became about like you, you, you. And yeah. like that ends up being a manipulation of the other person. 100%. I wonder when we lost culturally this ability to like understand the we, you know, yeah. and how we're going to get back to that because it feels like you know, on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like even to be able to contemplate your truth or how you impact somebody else feels like it's become sort of a privilege. Yeah. And really like all of the problems of society stem out of the lack of we. And am I taking full accountability for myself? Am I loving myself, forgiving myself? And am I bringing that to you? And are we a we? Well, you know, I think that the... the and I and it's so funny because I could say this on like the macro of a, 
larger community and even the micro of my own relationship is that I think a lot of the problem or where the frustration happens is when someone tries to make what should be their me work the we work, right? No acknowledgement to the we to work. To my space, cousins. But yes. <laughs> but like, and so I'll say this, you know, if I'm saying this to like... I'm just thinking of you. That's not my labor. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. But I, you know, I do. I always, you know, that's my mantra. I'm like, mm, that's not my labor. You know, like, so if I'm sitting here and like, which is so clean and boundaried, and yeah, talk yeah, more about that. Or you have that, you know, even like I think as people who are, you know, you and I are both in relationships with people who had previous marriages, and and in that you're like. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of the time, right when you get in, you're like, oh my gosh, this whole family structure is is the work of we, right? And then you realize that there's these relationships that predate you and these dynamics, and those dynamics need really critical me work in their own community, or they have their own like work of we. That's right. right? And so, and you actually trying to do, like create some type of codependent weave throughout any of it that makes that yours too yeah. is is at, at the very least unsustainable and at the most unhelpful right and so I've definitely had that with Simon where I'm like you know you try to be like oh you know this previous family structure like oh how do we all get in there and then you're like no actually like the most loving thing I can do is allow for you know is like to not think that like that work of we is work for me, right? And I think in the, you know, macro of our society, we have that a lot where it's like, you have really people who haven't done that work on themselves, thinking they should be solving something in community, right? So you'll have the people who like, are like, oh my gosh, I need to start a foundation. And you're like, hold on a minute. Like, how, how about we find the people in this community who have always been doing this work and we figure out like how to uplift them. And then maybe, what if maybe, all of this work isn't about your legacy. It's actually about this community. Mm. And then like, how do we actually center like rightly in attention and financial structure and everything, like the pioneers in the problem we're trying to solve Yeah, and then make use of ourselves for this kind of greater we, but we have this kind of like, you know, moment of like our own insecurity, right? Which yeah. is like, if I do this and this and this, I think I'll also feel better about myself or I'll feel better about my wealth or I'll feel better about my this or my that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, anytime, like, you know, one of the best things Francesca Clemente ever told me was wanting to give is still wanting. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, this wantingness, I think is what ends up taking something where you're actually trying to like fix something in yourself out in society, which means that no matter how much you're like giving or doing, you're there's not really the like return. Yeah. There's an that, abdication there still on some level. And so, and I think about that all the time. Like, I mean, Simon is probably so sick of me being like, well, there's the we and the me. And I was like, it's like, well, this is your, this is, and, and, and in that you're like, this is your side of the street. And this is my side of the street in, in a relationship. And like, and you know what we our relationship is this ecosystem and this kind of like yeah. neighborhood but like you know listen like you might have to you might be the trash man and like i might be you know the like like fixing the light posts yeah but like we also you know like if we're talking about how the street is like dirty and dark then like what have we not done that's like our task here yeah and that you make such a good point in that distinction because 
it's uncharted in a way, right? Like especially the me and the we work, especially in a family. Oh, it's so hard. And, and it's more pronounced in a blended family because first of all, no one's told anyone how to do it. No. There's no book around it. There's right? not even there's great no, language around it. No, there's not. And yeah. so I just, I love when you talk about that because I feel like I had, I had all these ideas, but actually didn't. I had no idea what it would mean to be a step parent. And like No, you honestly just think you're cool, so they'll think you're cool. Right. You're like, this this you're shouldn't like, be so you're bad. Like, First of all, I have a ton of friends. I like <laughs> obviously they'll want to be in my little gang. They're gonna and, like me. And everybody is like, oh my god, me? Like be a trigger for anyone? What? <laughs> have you read Heart Talk? <laughs> oh my god, it's so funny. And then, of course, they come in and it's yeah, and it's more everything. complex. And, and, and it's actually, for me at least, it's the dynamic that yeah. is a thicker thing to cut through than any particular person. Yeah. You know, it's this like, you know, we all as families build these dynamics. And, and what do we build them with? Do they, we build them with authenticity? Do we build them with honesty? Do we build them with, you know, this kind of like trust, consistency, dependency? And so even if you'd like have the trust consistency dependency but like maybe honesty isn't there you're like whoa that dynamic is that means that like everyone's you know a dynamic is the energy that everyone's is depending on yeah and so like actually i think when you walk into a family dynamic and and that's whether Mm -hmm. you're blending families or bringing your own family with their family you know marrying someone or walk into my entire family dynamic all the same and it's yeah you know this kind of he actually has to like kind of move through our dynamic because by the way each person alone in the room is like easy right like they're just a person and you can figure out how to get to the person but then you're joining the dynamic and when you're joining a dynamic and then having to kind of co-create a new dynamic and then bringing yeah. your additional children into the mix, you're kind of like, okay, wait, what if this dynamic doesn't even actually work? Like, what if this is not even the energy I think we can all right. like What's the net home? new dynamic? Yes, exactly. Which I think is a scarier proposition because everybody's comfortable in the dynamics that have existed within of the family course. for all these years. Yeah, and... Even if they're uncomfortable in it, that's what they know. But can they be uncomfortable and willing to open up to a new dynamic? And that's really where the magic happens. And I think time helps with that. Yeah, it does. You know, because I mean, I know, I know you felt that too. One of the things like, I don't know, I was thinking about it a lot this morning, but it's like one of the most liberating things you can do for yourself is like, let time hold you instead of like trying to like wrap this like anxiety rope around it Mm -hmm. and allow people to have their side of the story. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's that's one of the hardest things you can do is like live in the world knowing that someone has a side of a story that like paints you in a crazy way or like, you know, has a lot to do with like, it just as yours does too with the work you've done on yourself, the work you haven't done on yourself, yeah. all of the triggers and stuff in your own life, the feelings that you've expressed, the ones you're afraid to look at, all these things. And so, you know, to give people like their side of the story is like the almost like ultimate act of like, I like am freeing myself from what other people think of you. And I think a lot of the times That's we right. think of that as like strangers, right? It's like, I think of you because I saw this 
whatever on Instagram, you know, like, and it's, it's easier this idea of like allowing a mass of people to like opine however they will on you in some way. It's less personal. Yeah. And, but I think when you're like, whoa, like, gosh, you know, someone I know or someone I interacted with, someone you interact with a parent, you know, this where you're like, wow, you know, like you will always have experienced my childhood this way. And like, this will always be my experience. And like, what an offering of peace to myself mm. to say, like, what you have is yours. And like, I am not like, it is not mm. my place, especially if it's, you're unwilling to control your narrative of me. And I think that is like something I've been kind of thinking about mm. a lot lately in general. I'm just mm. like, something I, constantly think about is like how we feel and get more free. Mm. And so I think in that meditation I was having this morning, I was like, wow, you know, something that like shackles us and really just makes us feel like Mm. whether it's insecure in a room or da-da-da-da-da, is that this is someone who's so desperate to control your narrative of them or vice versa. Yeah. And you know what's helpful with that one is the Hawaiian forgiveness prayer, like because it sort of wraps it all in love. It's like your tattoo. Yeah. Like love, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, yeah. no matter whose labor is yeah. whose and like, you know, where the boundaries are and et cetera, it's like, let's just be more loving to ourselves. And in a situation like that, it's like, if you can just love your way through someone holding a story that paints you in a bad light, yeah. like ultimately, well, so what? Like. I don't know, you never know why someone needs that story that badly. Do you know what I mean? And like, it's, it's even such a, you know, like privilege to even like have the thoughts that consider letting go of like stories because like Mm -hmm. there's some part of you that knows that you like deserve like this kind of, you know, ability to move through and move Mm -hmm. past. Mm -hmm. And so many of us like feel stuck all the time. You yeah. know, that's something I hear so much is that people are really stuck in yeah. this one experience or this one, you know, thing mm-hmm. they thought they had that they didn't have or the what, you know, this one way they thought things would be that they aren't that like you can't even dream of the new thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, this I really want to know. What oh conversations are you looking forward to having on the pod? Like who are your guests going to be? You know, I think what I'm the most excited about is kind of like pushing into the Goop community for what we should be like doing on the pod. We talked a lot about like, how do we have like a way to like kind of DM or write in, you know, I love that newsletter you do so much where you are kind of answering questions from the people Mm. that, you know, like are your customers and your followers and and, and are part of this kind of community you've, you've built and so to me I was saying that like what I guess I'm excited about is the people but also like how we interact with the people so like what I'm excited about is having someone like Nedra who does all this amazing work on boundaries but like what is actually going on in our like the goop community's lives that we can be like let's ask her a specific question like someone is uh, having this problem with their sibling and da 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 or let's uh, like kind of really making it equal parts practical and inspirational because to me I love this pod because it is so inspiring and the guests are so interesting and what I feel like 
But in anything, if you're like, oh, if I'm going to do it, what's something I feel like I could bring to it? To me, what would it be like if this conversation was happening in the middle of a talking circle of women, right? Yeah. Where like, you know, you ha- could have an audience Q&A at the end. And so how do we kind of incorporate the community really deeply at the center of all the conversation. That's such a good idea. You know, you and I were talking about how cool it would be to like have some of the guests have to answer those questions in little micro kind of 10 minute things of like, you know, I mean, what if someone could have just like asked Cameron really specifically, like, I'm going through this journey right now. And I like, I'm, you know, 48 and my kid is coming in May. And like, what was the thing that like, you know, how do you overcome, you know, that yeah. like, especially when people as a whole live these like giant inspirational lives, yeah. but like, you know, what is this kind of really like kind of those like micro practical mm-hmm. kind of like things that like if they were just in the kitchen, yeah. like a know? utility, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is, I feel like how I write, like when I, I remember doing like, like laying out hard talk and being like, it has to be useful. I was like, I just want people to use it. I don't want people, it can be pretty and it can be inspiring, but it's like, even the very last thing I did with that book was I underlined and starred everything that I thought was the most important part. It was the very last draft. It was just about to go to print because I was like, I think if I underline it, people will feel that they can write in it. Mm. And they did. And people are always like, I did feel like I had permission to do it. And I was like, because I wanted you to like really use it and like have it be worn, I didn't want it to be like, oh, every now and again, I would just open it on like a nice day. Like mm-hmm. I always see heart talk and it's got like the post-its and the this and the that. And I feel like I want, that's how I'm excited to kind of approach I love it. something that already has so much of that. But I think my approach in general is like, okay, how do we make this like the most useful possible thing? Is there one guess that you're like, I really want to get this person on? I would love to do a pod that had like maybe a mix of like Aminatu Sao, who wrote the Big Friendship book. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with friendship, as you know. I love it. And it's sustenance. I mean, well, and it's like it's going through this really weird time. I have never, ever, ever in my life had more people 30 plus write to me saying it's impossible to find friends as adults almost all women. Did you see the like article in the New Yorker about like the men's friendship recession? Like, I mean, there's so much happening in this like giant space of lack or even like if you are, if you open Instagram right now, like the most shared thing I guarantee you is this Jane Fonda talking about the importance of female friendship and like the difference between how women friendship and men and how she couldn't have made it through her life without these like women bonds. Mm. And so I've been thinking so much lately about, I mean, even like yesterday I said something like online, I was like, well, you know, and if anybody ever wants to help me like do some friendship gatherings in their town, I'll happily do it. And I can't even tell you the amount of people that were like, I would do one in Dallas and I would do one in Minneapolis and da, 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 da. And it's like, wow. you know, I moved during the pandemic and I say this about yeah. you all the time. I'm like, oh my God, I met almost every friend I have in LA because of Gwyneth. Like, and I just, I don't know what I would have done if I would have had to come here and like didn't have someone who wanted to share their community with me Mm. and like it's that's such a like privilege to like have you know like your neighbor kind of like notice that like oh I'm sure that's hard for someone to come somewhere like that you know and so I think that that isn't something that people got to have you know Mm. someone didn't notice like oh I see you at the grocery store all the time alone or I see you da 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 or I've noticed this or this about you and so I think Mm. 
I'm really excited to talk about like, you know, and and I think as a community try to like, how do we start solving this kind of friendship issue and this like community and yeah. bonds issue that's so Loneliness so many people issue, are yeah. facing. Yeah, you know, I love that. So that's my first okay. order of business. Okay, that's good. I love talking to you. I know, I just love you so much. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Cleo Wade. Be sure to tune in to hear the first episode hosted by Cleo. It's a great one. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.